Good afternoon, everyone. Allison Skaberg here with Consolidated Planning Group. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we are here uh, today with the Central Texas Workforce Solutions, Tawana Smith. She'll be joining us momentarily. Um, Consolidated Planning Group is a holistic special needs financial planning firm. We do uh, webinars and podcasts all the time on uh, special needs and special needs planning matters. And today what we're um, talking about is higher education and college planning for our loved ones with special needs. So from um, an, a housekeeping perspective, um, today this is, um, this is a webinar right now, um, but we do have people that are joining from a podcast. Um, so just wanted to let you know that we are in webinar mode, so we can't see you or hear you, but we do know you are out there. So um, if you have questions today, we want you to put them in the chat box. Today's, um, today's meeting is being recorded and it will be posted on the Consolidated Planning Group YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to for free. Uh, there are over 200 webinars out there um, related to special needs topics, so you can kind of look at those and see where you are on your, um, on your planning trail and um, specifically um, you know, listen to the ones that might be uh, really specific to what you're looking for. Um, so we're going to get started. There's a lot uh, to, to talk about today. Um, just to share a little bit more about Consolidated Planning Group, um, you know, there's about 250,000 financial advisors in the U.S. and less than 125 of them, not 125,000, less than 125 um, are actually nuanced in, in special needs. Um, we are members of the Special Needs Planning Academy and also um, nationally certified as Social Security Advisors. And so we help families just like yours put protection plans in place, lifetime care plans. We work on tra um, transition planning. Um, we answer questions like, um, how much will my loved one need when I'm gone? How much do we need to fund a special needs trust and those types of things? So if that is, you know, kind of where you are on your planning journey, we can certainly help you with that. But so today, uh, we are talking about college planning for special needs families. And um, this is near and dear to my heart. So um, I, you know, per so professionally, um, we eat, sleep and breathe, um, you know, working with families with special needs, but I am a parent myself and have gone down this journey um, of college planning. And I would say it's not for the faint of heart uh, to begin with. It, it is a difficult journey, um, even if we have children that don't have disabilities. But when we have um, kids that learn differently or they have specific needs, it makes it a little bit more challenging. But the first thing that I want to say is that it is totally doable. There are a lot of programs out there. There are a lot of exciting programs. Whether your child is quote unquote, um, I hate these terms, but um, low functioning or high functioning. There are programs out there um, for your loved one for higher education. So whether your child is, you know, staying in the public school or the transition program or 18 plus program, or if they're leaving um, high school at age 18, once they uh, graduate, there are programs out there. So we're going to be talking about those today. Um, we're going to be talking about things um, to keep in mind when you're considering various schools, uh, things like accommodations and um, and and also um, the big thing that we you know we're also going to talk about is funding and where does the money come from and what you know are there programs out there that 
can help defray some of the, you know, the cost and the expense associated with higher education. So again, don't be shy. If you have a question uh, today, do put it in the chat box and um, we'll get to as many questions as we can. So first things first, when we're starting on um, off on this journey is I, I always start by saying, let's set r realistic expectations. Um, where is your child? We want to meet our kids where they are. And so often, um, this world that we live in is so often comparing um, others, you know, other kids to other kids and where are they? And it starts early. It starts when, you know, they're first born and when they first talked and when they walked and when they crawled and all those other things. And if they did it early or if they did it late or whatever. And, um, and we always just really like to talk about um, the message to yourself is they are where they are. They're not behind when we're when we're really thinking about the, the grand scheme of life, they are where they are and let's meet them where they are and put programs in place for them that, to help them get to where they're going. So whether if you have a, a child that is um, largely behind grade level or maybe they don't read well or maybe they have, you know, math issues or other things like that, it's still okay. And there are still programs out there. So, so, think outside of the box and, and let's, let's think about the child specifically. Um, we want you to consider all options when you're thinking about higher education. And sometimes the path might be direct to higher education. And, and sometimes it might be an indirect path um, where we might look at some other things first, like maybe a transition program or some of those 18 plus programs that I was talking about. Um, there are trade schools, community colleges, think about licenses um, or certificates or various programs like that. Um, of course, there's the university degree programs. Um, there is no such thing as that, that, that your child has to be a full-time student and take a 12-hour course load. In fact, um, the Social Security Administration considers a full-time course load for an individual with a disability to be eight hours. So some of our kids um, could embark on higher education, but maybe they need to start with one class or two classes. There's even um, classes at both the community college and the university. It's like, um, and I'm not calling it the right name, but it's like uh, inter introduction to university studies or introduction to college studies. And that whole course is really a course in, in telling them and showing them what they need to do to be successful as, um, as a student and the things that they're going to need to uh, need to do. So we want to think about, you know, living at home, is that appropriate or um, on campus? And if they are living on campus, the various campus supports that would be necessary for them to be successful. Um, and, you know, there are organizations, and we'll talk about them today in today's uh, webinar, that that um, partner um, with you for your student to be able to live on campus and have more of a campus experience. Um, so we um, talked about that we're here today with the Central Texas Workforce Solutions. They have programs you may have heard of. You may have your kids enrolled in these programs. Um, Summer Earn and Learn, and they have an acronym for that, which is called SEAL. Um, and, and then they have this acronym PRE-ETS, which stands for Pre-Employment Training Services. So there are a lot of programs out there for our kids with disabilities that have an impediment or a potential impediment to employment as a result of their disability to get them up to, um, up to speed um, so they can so they can work and they can have gainful employment. So um, Etwana, um, can, and she's going to share her contact information um, in the chat box with everybody today. Um, she's for Central Texas, but there are um, 
navigators all across the state and VR counselors all across the state in your area. So if you're joining um, from it from a different area, she can get you in touch with the right person. So and we're going to think about um, a career path and ideal work settings, things like that, because maybe some of our kids are just going to go to work. Some of our kids. Um, from a maturity level, they might not be the, be there yet, and that's okay. Some of them are. But the reality of it is, is even a child without disability, if you, without a disability, if you look at the numbers of um, kids that leave the public high school without a disability that go to higher education, the numbers are relatively high of failure, okay? And it, it's because of that lack of maturity that, we're, that, that I'm talking about, and sometimes they're just not ready, and it doesn't mean no, not ever. It might mean no, not right now. We're just not there yet. So these are some just um, a few. We have lists of um, post high school options for special needs day and transition Um, there. We have lists for all across the state, not just the greater Houston area or just one particular area. But there are a lot of day and transition programs. Um, The ones that we have on this list, of course, you have the school programs, the 18 plus programs. Um, I've heard of the Mosaic program and different things like that that are through the public school. And these are going to be private pay um, programs that are outside of the public school. So if you're considering when we're thinking about like the next step and we're thinking about transition of our loved ones, we want to think about what is next. And we want to think about that quick and we want to think about that early because what we're trying to prevent is that you're your child leaving the high school, whether it's homeschool, whether it's public school or private school, and doing nothing, coming home and they have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to go during the day. They don't have a job. They don't have a transition program. They're not learning. Um, so, so we want to think about that. So before we make a decision, if they are going to leave the public high school at 18 versus 21 or 22, we want to think about what's next for them. And then one of the considerations for these day and transition programs is a, do you have a waiver that will help defray some of the costs of these programs? Do you have the financial resources to pay for these programs? Because obviously the public school programs, you know, as a taxpayer, they're covered. And so you're not, you know, dropping anywhere from fifteen dollars to $3,000 a month for some of these programs. So those are other considerations that you might want to think about. But I, um, I always say we don't, work for, we don't work for them and they don't work for us. But we do encourage you uh, to tour some of these transition programs, visit their website, look and see what options they have uh, available out there. But there are some really, really cool programs out there. So if you do have a student that isn't ready quite yet to go to the community college or to go to the university and they might need um, kind of an interim thing, these are programs that are really, really worth uh, looking at. So um, let's talk about the six traits students with learning disabilities need to to succeed, and it's really all students need these um, to succeed. And that this, these these traits are some of the things that are lacking in even our students that don't have disabilities. So the six traits: self awareness. Um, so self awareness, um, showing signs um, that they are understanding their strengths and weaknesses, both academic and non academic areas. This could be social areas, communication areas, things like that. Uh, a student needs to be proactive um, and and be able to per- persevere through through tough times. Uh, they need to be able to have a, some level of the ability to set some goals or to work with somebody to help um, set some goals. 
They need to be able to have um, presence and use of effective social support systems because, you know, life isn't always perfect. Sometimes things are tough. Days are tough. And of course, those emotional coping strategies. And these are um, these are all really important. And we've seen these kind of highlighted um, heightened needs um, when, you know, as we went through the pandemic, and I think, you know, we've kind of emerged, we're way better than where we were before. But a lot of things, a lot of families um, were dealing with emotional coping strategies with even their non um, disabled children and things like that. But these are all things that are going to, um, you know, really require, um, be required for success uh, at higher education. So I like to spend some time on this slide. This is accommodations and offices of disability at the college level. So one thing uh, for me is when I first started this journey, um, I was really frustrated um, at how for higher education, it's not the same. Okay, offices of disability at higher education institutions are not created equally. They're not the same. Some are very huge and robust and well-staffed, and they have a lot of tools and resources and electronic tools and resources that are great. And other schools are very small. Uh, the office of disability might be run by one or two people and things like that. So, I always say do your homework on the Office of Disability, and when we're thinking about um, schools for our kids that might be a good fit, um, the way I looked at it was this. Um, first, I did a, a search of the schools that had the degree program or certificate program or whatever it is that you're looking for, um, you know, the program that you're interested in. So I did that first and narrowed down my list that way. Um, and then I researched each of those schools and their office of disability and whether or not they would be a good fit for the accommodations that we need and for the supports that we needed for my student to be successful. So I do um, recommend doing that and kind of checking that. Um, so the, the main thing that you guys need to know here is the 504s and IEPs don't transfer over to higher education. So if we've got a kid that's been in the public school, they have an IEP or they have a 504, we've been getting accommodations um, under uh, one of those, those, those two uh, supports, those just don't automatically transfer over. So it, it's true that a lot of the offices of disability, they will look at what accommodations were in place under the IEP um, or the 504, but they're not required to provide those same um, accommodations. Most of the offices of disability, and this is where it becomes frustrating and you got to do your homework. And, and I always say this, that this is not for the faint of heart and parent involvement is truly necessary um, on this. Most of the offices of disability, they have a web page on the, on the college um, or university website, and it will tell you what the requirements are to apply for accommodations. There is an application to apply. And they usually need proof of disability. Um, some of them require testing. It might be IQ testing, learning disability testing, various types of testing that um, support the accommodations that are needed for your students. Um, we have seen some of these guidelines be relaxed after COVID, um, but usually the general rule of thumb is they want to see testing that has been updated in the last three to five years. Um, testing is something that you may have had done at your school. You can have it done private pay or through your, it's most often not covered by your insurance. It depends on the child's diagnosis and disabilities. Um, if your child is in vocational rehab um, through the Workforce Commission, 
vocational rehab often does testing. Uh, they'll do the neuropsych testing often, and they'll also do a vocational evaluation. So these are all some of the tests uh, that might be helpful in getting you the accommodations that you need um, for the college level. And I always just say here, this is so important. It can't be forgotten. And it's just like, um, you know, starting a job with one or both hands behind your back, right? You know, what can you do if you have both hands behind your back? And that's the same thing with our students. So if, if you don't do this early, what happens is they start the school year without their accommodations in place. And you might be two, three or four weeks into a semester before they have their accommodations and they're already um, frustrated and behind and maybe not doing well. So that's why you want to do this early. So I want to talk about SAT, ACT, um, AP exams, college courses, graduate graduate level exams. So there are accommodations for these exams, but again, your IEPs and your 504s don't transfer for the for the accommodation um, for for these exams. Um, the collegeboard.org is for the SAT and then ACT.org. Um, if you go into their website and you type in in the search bar um, uh, accommodations, it's going to take you to the disability page. You can download the application to apply for accommodations for testing. Examples of accommodations for testing might be the um, they may allow your student to test over mul multiple days. Um, they may have a um, testing environment, like in a quiet, non-distracted environment. I've seen that for ADHD, autism, things like that, um, where they might just um, test in a private office instead of a room with 200 kids in there. Um, they might, I've seen up to 100% more time because these are time tests. So these are some examples um, of, of some accommodations that you can get for that. So let's talk about the SAT and the ACT and if it's needed or not. So again, all schools aren't created equally on this, on what they're requiring. Some schools are test optional. Um, some schools, um, how they take, you know, the highest score or whatever and how what they accept is going to be different. So you're going to want to check uh, their website for that as well. But what I want to say here is some of our kids don't test well, and that's okay. But what I want to mention to you, some families want to put their kids through the SAT or the ACT because they want them, them to have the experience. And even if they do poorly, that's fine. But if your child is entering into the um, community college, they don't have to have the SAT or the ACT. So why put them through the stress? Why pay? You know, why put them through the stress? You don't necessarily have to do that for the for the community college. So I just wanted you to be clear on that. But I am going to talk about the community community college test that would be required um, from a question I'm just looking okay yes we we've got this um are the slides today um they have a whole bunch of links in there today I meant to mention that in the beginning um we will provide uh, an email with all of today's slides so you'll have that with all the links so you don't have to write all of this down um one of the things that you need to be aware of is that when your students go to higher education a FERPA is uh, required and that's an F-E-R-P-A. And so that is if you're gonna call the college and you've got questions about their um, education or their grades or their, their classes or anything like that, the FERPA is gonna have to be on file or they're not gonna talk to you. And I know the age old thing is the parent says, well, I pay for this. What do you mean you're not gonna talk to me? They mean they're not gonna talk to you and they don't care that you pay for it. So you need to have a FERPA. 
um, and those can be download, downloaded from the community college or for the uni university website. If you don't see them out there, if you call uh, the admissions office, um, they'll, they'll email that to you as well. The other thing that we like to mention here, and this is not completely necessary, I think it's non-negotiable and it's really important to have, is to have a power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney and power of attorney. When we send our kids off to school, and I don't care if they have a disability or don't have a disability, it's important to have these um, on file. Um, so that way, if something happens, if there's a mental health crisis, if there's a car accident, if there's something and your child is hauled off to a hospital or a mental health uh, facility or any of those places that they'll talk to you. If you don't have that, I mean, literally, it could be an example. And we saw this um, some with COVID where there was a mental health crisis. The child was ha hauled off to a mental health uh, crisis center. And it was a needle in the haystack as to where they were. And they won't even tell you where they took them. So it's really, really important to have these types of things on file. So when it comes to work, reasonable accommodations are required if it does not pose undue hardship. Um, the Department of Labor, you can get some more information out there. And I always just like to mention here that there is a such thing as registered apprenticeships for individuals with a disability. And you can find out more about registered apprenticeships um, on the Department of Labor uh, website. And this is kind of a cool thing because they're really learning um, while they're um, earning money and they're learning a trade and learning a skill. So, so if that's a direction that might be a good fit um, for your child, just check those out. And then there is also the Job Accommodation Network, and you can check that out as well. Okay, so this is just uh, this is just a short list. There are many um, many colleges um, and universities all across the U.S., not just in Texas, that serve uh, individuals with disabilities. And these this is just a list of some programs. Some are college programs. Some are university programs. Um, some are like, like non-Parel Institute, they, they really kind of work on coding and, and kind of learning a skill. Um, so there's some different programs out there, but what we want you to do is, you know, have these programs on your list, check them out. And again, you want to look at them early. When do their applications open up? When do they close? Are they meeting face-to-face? Or are they only meeting online? Most of them have gone back to face-to-face, -face, but there, are may, there may be a few that might be meeting online. The reason the, some of these are on the, pro, on, on the list is because there are some programs that are very, very specific for kids that have an intellectual disability with an IQ below 70. There's other programs that are on the list because they have awesome um, offices of disability um, and really good supports in place. Um, all of these are in Texas for the exception. Maybe I took that off. Um, there's a Lynn University in Florida that's also um, good, but there are good programs all across the U.S. But what I have found, and it's not true for everyone, but a lot of families, a lot of parents are kind of scared to send our kid with a disability out of state or too far away. So these are just some of the programs. But what you need to know about some of these programs is they may only have a few slots. It's not like they have endless enrollment and things like that. So if this is a program that you're really, really interested in, you want to pay attention to those deadlines of opening and closing of applications and how many students they take, how long the program is. All of the, these programs are not four years. 
Some might be two years, some might be a year, some might be nine months. It just depends on what it is that you're looking for and what might be a good fit. Some of these programs might be very specific for the hospitality industry or, um, uh, you know, we, we see some, you know, where they'll, they'll work with flowers and things like that. It might be um, food service or other things like that. There's all kinds of different programs and, and what they're tailored to. So you guys can look further into that. So we were talking a little bit ago about the SAT and the ACT. Um, and I was mentioning that it's really just not that necessary to take that if they're going to go in through the community college first. Okay. And also if they're going to take a certificate program or a licensing program, the SAT and ACT is not necessary. If they're going to go in through the community college and take four credit classes, uh, the Texas Success Initiative Assessment is necessary. They usually call it, they may call it a TSI for short, but TSIA. Um, and so this is required for all um, community colleges and universities for entrance. And they're going to be testing reading, writing, and math. And each of those sections are separate. So when your student takes this, they could pass math and not pass reading. They could pass writing and not pass math. And so if whatever section they don't pass, uh, they either need to take, you can only take it so many times in a row, but, you know, before you have like kind of an intervention class, but um, they'll need to take it again and pass it to be able to take four credit classes. So if they're out of high school and we're not talking about dual credit, there are non-credit courses that they can take at the community college. And this may be something that if you're thinking of a, a different path or you're not sure that your child could be successful, um, you might want to sign up and pay for and take a few non-credit classes. And these classes are designed to get them up to speed, up to speed so they can pass pass the math class up to speed so they can pass, you know, the English class and the, the reading or writing classes and things like that. So, um, so this is kind of just a link where you can learn more about this. And what I want to tell you here, um, from my own experience, there are practice tests out there for the TSI. You can Google that practice test for the TSI. You can talk to your local community college. Like I know, for instance, the Houston Community College, they have some practice tests that they'll give you for free. Um, most of the colleges do have like a practice test site. Um, so you can kind of get an idea of what kind of questions are going to be asked. There are also paid for practice tests for the, for the TSI. Um, my student did both, and I have to say the paid-for versions were not very expensive, and they were definitely better than the free versions that you could get um, from from the the community college. So just wanted to let you guys know that. So if you're kind of trying to plan and, and see if they're ready, if you want to see um, that TSI once they take it, um, it's going to break down the areas that they may need to work on. So if they if they fall short on the TSI, it'll tell you. Uh, where they need a little bit of extra help so they can pass it going forward. And again, there are people and representatives at the school that will help and provide a little bit more guidance on on these types of things. But um, if you haven't sent a kid to college in Texas, then you might not know about the TSI. And I did want to make sure that you did know about it. So um, out-of-state educational options post-high school, um, think college.net uh, is a great website for families who have kids with a disability. There are hundreds of um, 
colleges and universities, post-secondary education programs for students with intellectual disabilities. So if you're thinking of out of state or if you're moving out of state and you're looking for, um, you know, kind of where you're going, thinkcollege.net is a good one. And also they have a Facebook group that I have found helpful as well. And there's a lot of parents that have a lot of experience um, and they're good at answering questions and things like that. So I just like uh, people to know about Think College. Okay. So this lady, Jody Glau, she's awesome. She doesn't work for us and we don't work for her, but we have partnered um, with her in the past for webinars. And so, um, you know, as I said in the beginning, you know, this this process is not for the faint of heart, and it is it is confusing, it is time consuming, it is there's a lot to be thinking about when we're thinking about higher education. But she is a college consultant, specifically working with families with kids with a disability. So there's a ton of college consultants out there. And mostly none of them have experience in working with kids with special needs, right? So she's your girl on that. Um, She doesn't live in Texas, but she works all across the country. And so if you're in a position that you're wanting to hire somebody, she works with you and your student directly um, to really find the best fit for your student. She's aware of programs. She's aware of where the bodies are buried, what's good, what's not good, what you need to keep in mind. And so she is a great person um, to consider reaching out to. But what I will tell you about her, um, she's busy because there's not very many people that um, does what she does. And she only takes, um, you know, so many per year because she really gives uh, a lot of attention to the clients that she serves. Um, so if you're interested in her, you will want to reach out um, early on that as well. Um, Tawana, do we have a couple of questions? Okay, I may have, may have lost uh, Tawana. Okay, so do you have links to the paid practice oh, test? I do not. I do that. not. I hit the wrong button. No, no, no. No worries. No worries. Um, I don't, but the community colleges do, and and you can call um, and they'll provide those. And you might be able to Google that, and you can. Um, um, there, there's a lot of different companies out there that do the paid um, TSI, and if you if you Google that, you'll see them, and they'll come up. Um, and I would say if you're assessing those paid companies, um, I would just find out okay how much. And, you know, do I have to subscribe for a year and um, how long do I have the services if I sign up for that? I think that's basically how we decided which company we went with. And I don't recall right off which one it was. Um, And then is the TSI offered through the local um, high schools? I have not seen it offered through the local high schools. You can check with a guidance counselor at the local high school because it is possible that the local high school may have some TSI practice tests. They should be doing that. I don't know if they are. Um, but you can check with the, the, the local high school on that. One, one note about your, your public school and the school counselors and things like that. Um, a lot of um, parents think, well, you know, they have a guidance counselor for this or they have a college counselor for this. Um, and they do, and they're really smart and they're really good, but they're also overworked and they have way more students than they could possibly serve. So this is where, again, I say parent involvement is of paramount importance when we're going down this this highway with our students. Um, it, I would, you know, you might get a short list from the college guidance counselor, but they're really, you know, as far as, you know, getting those applications in and the deadlines and, and all of that stuff, I, I think the, you know, parent really needs to be driving this train with your student. Um, okay, let's see. I think we have um, an additional question. 
Um, okay, uh, this was VR related. Okay, so CLE, this is the college living experience. They have programs across the U.S. They do have one in Texas. Um, I think it's near uh, Brenham in Texas. So um, the the community college um, up in Brenham, and which is Blinn, you know, uh, Blinn Community College. And then, of course, we have A&M, and A&M has um, various programs for individuals with disabilities. So this is alongside the college, okay? So you're paying for the community college or the university, and you're also paying a college living experience. But this is a place for maybe if our kids aren't quite there yet, they need some supports. They're not quite ready to live um, on campus in a dorm without some supports and things like that. The college living experience is a kind of a good balance. Uh, they work with academics, career development, independent living skills, social development, and things like that. But this is private pay um, in addition to what you're paying for college. So um, this may be an option for some families, and it might be cost prohibitive for other families, but it is definitely uh, worth, worth um, checking out. So we've got the um, phone number for college living experience. And again, for anybody that's joining us on the podcast or looking at this later, college living experience, they do have um, they do have um, locations across the U.S., not just in uh, the Texas area. Okay, so then we have um, Bloom Consulting Campus Connections. Some of you may have heard of Bloom Consulting because they are um, a contractor that the Workforce Solutions Prietz, um, you know, um, and also vocational rehab they 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 use, um, and so because I'm not going to go into a full-on presentation about um, Bloom Consulting, but they, they have a lot of programs. They do work with people across uh, across the state of Texas, across the U.S. They are located um, here in Texas, and they do a lot of things, but really um, they work with the vocational rehab program and doing assessments, which are called vocational evaluations. You can hire Bloom Consulting yourself and get pay for and get your own vocational evaluation for your student. And basically, basically what that vocational evaluation is going to do is going to um, identify what are the impediments to employment and what kind of training and services are going to ne be needed to close the gap on any of those impediments to employment that your student might have. But this Campus Connection um, program, it's a cool program. And this is um, a program that's going to give a parent the opportunity to, to take a little bit of a step back and let your student navigate a little bit on the higher education level with help with the Campus Connection um, program. So they work with kids with various um, disabilities and they're gonna give them post-secondary um, uh, support. So it's, it's either in-person or virtual. Um, and they're going to have a connection, a, a connection coach. They're going to get mentoring and guidance, navigational support. And um, it's really, really good in helping them um, kind of figure out where they are, where they're going, how to be successful, how to self-advocate, those types of things. So this is alongside if you're paying for um, higher education on, on university or community college, they have a, a private pay um, amount and it's approximately a thousand. It may have changed with all of the price changes um, recently, but it is affordable, more affordable than like the college li living experience or things like that. But what I want to mention to you is that if your student is in the vocational rehab program, it's possible that these these expenses could be covered by VR 
um, if it's in line with their their IPE to get to work and in line with their educational um, goals and things that are set up in the plan. So we do see that a lot of, we see testing covered for that vocational evaluation if the kid is in the VR program. And we have also seen um, this campus connection um, program be covered by VR as well. So I'm not, I can't tell you that they're going to do that. Again, I don't work for, for VR, but it has to be um, your, your vocational rehab plan. Uh, the plan for employment for your student is specifically tailored to your student. And um, so it has to be in line with the plan and the goals of the plan for it to be covered. So this is just a slide about pre-employment training services. And this is Tawana. Tawana's group with Workforce Solutions. Um, there's the Summer Earn and Learn and the Pre-Employment Training Services. These services start as early as 14. And I always like to mention that because people think, well, our kids can't work until they're 16 anyway. But but what if they're doing training and getting ready and closing the gaps on their in, um, their impediments to employment and starting at age 14? So just know um, that these programs um, through Workforce Solutions, through the Workforce Commission, um, they are state and federally funded. They have dollars, they have budgets, and they're designed um, to to get your kids to work for gainful employment. And so it's not it, it tap into the resources that the state has available. There there are programs in your area. So. Let's talk uh, about funding. Um, you know, one of the big, um, you know, I, I, maybe it's a roadblock for some is, is the cost associated with higher education. So funding is a big deal. So first things first, FAFSA, free application for federal student aid. It's available each year on October 1st for the following school, school year. And you're going to want to complete this each year, even if you think you make too much money. Okay. Um, and this is another thing that this is not a job for your student to do. The student will have a login. The parent will have a login. There's a tool where you link to the IRS and you connect your tax returns. It asks all kinds of financial information that your student doesn't know, shouldn't know. You probably wouldn't want them to know. Um, and so you're going to really need to help um, with, with completing this FAFSA application, okay? So if your student is a senior in high school and you're planning on higher education next year, you probably should have already done the FAFSA, but you can do it now. I mean, it's, it's, it's open. And if they're planning on going to, you know, to college um, in the fall, you definitely want to get this FAFSA done. Okay. So when I say complete this, even if you think you make too much money, a lot of scholarships out there and other funding and grants and things like that. Um, those are, um, they are, they require that the FAFSA be done um, regardless of, uh, of, uh, of income. Okay. So even, even if you're applying for the scholarship, a lot of times you got to have this done. So um, let's see, I think we have something in the chat box and I want to um, talk about that. Most college financial aid is based on the parent income at what age is the student considered to be old enough to be self-supporting instead of dependent on the parental income? And I believe it's age 23. I'm going to have to double check that. I think it's age 23. It might be age 26. Um, and so, or if they're like an emancipated minor or something like that. But other than that, it is based off of the parent's income, not the student. Um, 
And let me see. It makes a difference too if they say if they're in foster care or something like that. A lot of kids that are in foster care, or you have a child that's in foster care, they get free education from the state of Texas yes, if they've been in the system. So definitely check that. Yes, we're going to talk about that because that's true and that's something that sometimes people forget. So we are going to talk about that. I'm going to come back to um, the, uh, the question in a little bit. Um, so scholarships, community-based, school-based, disability, disease-based, sport, music, band-based. There are so many scholarships out there. There are even scholarships out there for your non-disabled kid because they have a disabled sibling. There's a ton of stuff out there. So what I tell families, if you're really wanting to get funding, uh, you can get it. My daughter was fully funded for college. She was fully funded. And we're not the top 10. We're not the top five. We didn't have stellar test scores. Um, but we were smart and we researched early and we knew what we could do and we set our sights on what we could do and where we could be successful. So if you've got a younger student, maybe they're junior high, freshman, think about those things. So this is where, and I, you know, this is where we get the eye roll here, get your spreadsheet going for these scholarships. So just like all um, colleges and offices of disability are not created equally, um, it's the same thing when it comes to these scholarships the applications, the deadlines, when they open up and when they close, they all are different. So I suggest having a spreadsheet uh, to keep it all straight. Um, one thing that I want to mention that I found frustrating when I was doing this with one of my kids was that, so senior year, I mean, I think it's reasonable to think that if your child's a senior, they start in August or September, we're thinking, okay, Christmas break, we're going to be starting on these scholarships. Um, it's a little day late and a dollar short. There are some scholarships that open up January, February, March, and they announce the, the winners in the spring. But a lot of the scholarships um, close December 15th or December 31st of your kid's senior year in high school. So you want to research this early and um, have them on your list. So one of the places um, that you can obviously pay for, um, for college is your college savings plan. This is a 529C. Um, there is a such thing as a 529A for ABLE. Um, this is like a college savings plan, but you can pay for a variety of expenses out of an ABLE account if it's, you know, to improve the life of an individual with a disability, but you can pay for college out of an ABLE account. And then also, I want to mention again, vocational rehab, if your child is in VR, they may be able to provide support if it's in line with the goals established in the plan for the individual to find competitive employment. So they may defray some of the cost of college. Now, they do have a calculator of income, and it's not like, you know, Medicaid requirements or stuff like that. But so depending on how much income you make, there may be like an offset. They, there may be a cost share or there might be little um, help as it relates to defraying the cost um, for college. But just know uh, that, there are, um, that there are offers out there on that and that uh, the vocational rehab can work with you on that. So to Tawana's point, we always make a point. Um, I'm going to run through this relatively quickly because there are links um, for all of these. So these are scholarships that we know about. This is not an exhaustive list. Okay. There are a lot more, but these are scholarships that we know about and there's links for them so you can learn more about them. But, but to, to Tawana's point, um, most states have a program where if the, the child is um, adopted through the state, if they're in the state foster program <clears throat> or if they have been adopted 
um, through the state um, through the state program like DSPS, that child will go to school for free. Um, so just uh, remember that because sometimes people forget that. Maybe it was glossed over. Maybe nobody ever told them that. So we just like to mention that. Um, so some places that you can ask for um, a, a list of scholarship, child life specialist at your um, specialty hospital, whoever it may be. Um, they are good at having a list of disease-specific scholarships. So if you go to a neurology clinic, if you see the cancer clinic, if you have cardiology, ask the child life specialist for a list of scholarships um, because there are usually some good ones out there for that, and they're not always that applied for. So your student might um, be in a good position to get those um, scholarships because somebody else just didn't even ask about them. They don't know about them. So um, one of the, the one of the ones that's near and dear to my heart is the Terry Foundation Scholarship. This is for Texans only. Um, the Terry Foundation um, has been running this scholarship in perpetuity since 1987, and <clears throat> this is uh, really focused on kids that show leadership, leadership potential, character. Think volunteering. And I don't mean volunteering at your church or wherever you go. I mean like real serious volunteer hours. They've really given back to their communities. Our kids with disabilities, they have a story. They have a powerful story of where they've been, what they have overcome, where what they have gone through to get where they are. That's a powerful story in itself. And you add that to that they already had one hand behind their back, but they still chose to give back to their community it really bodes well for this particular scholarship. So um, it's going to go based off of scholastic record and ability, but it doesn't have to be like, you know, top 10 or anything like that. So is your student an AB student? Do they do pretty good? Have they volunteered a lot? Do we have a good record of volunteering? Do we have stellar letters from executive directors of various organizations where they have, um, where they have volunteered and they have given back? Um, but this is really basically a full ride scholarship for four years. And to maintain it, I think they have to have a C average, like they don't have to have an A average to maintain it, because a lot of these scholarships, they give and take away, they give it. And then if you don't, you know, uh, you know, if your student doesn't maintain Dean's list, or, you know, an A average or something, then they take it away. But this, this is not like that. So the cool thing about the Terry um, scholarship, so look at this early. Um, there are opportunities at all of these universities. And so you could try your hand at the Terry Foundation Scholarship at all of these universities and, and, and whichever one shakes out, you know, basically. So they could get an interview because you applied at A&M, but maybe you didn't get asked for uh, the, the Terry interview at Texas Women's or um, UT or, or what have you. So the, there's multiple opportunities, but I would say, that a full ride is a really big deal. And this is, this is one that one of my kids got. Okay. And it was a true blessing. And again, we didn't have, um, you know, we were an AB student. We had okay to marginal test scores, but we had 800 service hours of giving back into the community. So, okay. So, so what your kid doesn't play an instrument and they're not a stellar at sports. Um, but what can they do? And so that I think that's my motivation to you is just say, what can they do? What do they do well and go with that and build upon their strengths? That's a, that goes back to meeting them where they are. You're not going to make them a top five or a top 10 if they're not. And that's okay. 
Um, but there are still scholarships out there for kids with disabilities, um, you know, so just know that. So <clears throat> these are just, again, links. Um, you know, there, we have disease-specific scholarships. Um, there's all kinds of them out there. Some of them are going to be, um, you know, applicable to you and the journey that you're on, and um, other ones are not. I do see um, someone ask a question, and do you keep a log of your service hours, and how did the school verify? We did keep a log of our service hours, um, and this was just a log that I created myself back to the spreadsheets. Again, I know that sounds archaic, but... Um, we did keep a log uh, of the service. We just created a, a, a spreadsheet and we had the directors sign off on those. So we didn't involve the school at all. Some people homeschool, some people do private school, public school. Um, and we, um, we volunteered with organizations that were near and dear to our heart that was important to us. Um, and, and so that's, that's how we went about doing it. But well, what I will have to, I, I would say is that, you know, the, my child had four years of volunteering and when it came time for those recommendation letters, we weren't trying to get the pastor at church or something like that to write a recommendation letter or the neighbor next door. We had glowing recommendation letters from executive directors from these organizations that the volunteer hours were, were done with. And, I, and in fact, as a parent, I couldn't have read it, wrote it better myself, but that's what happens when our kids give back. And so it's not like pulling eye teeth or asking the guidance counselor at the high school that's met with your student four times ever in four years to write a letter of recommendations. It's not meaningful. But when they really give back and they really um, work in their community, those letters of recommendation are glowing. And it was as a result of those letters of recommendation, that volunteer service, that is exactly why my child got the scholarships that she did. And then she got multiple scholarships that we ended up giving back because we were fully funded by the Terry Foundation. So, so I, I just want to empower people because some people say, you know, it's not even worth it. It's not worth my time. These applications are long. And so what I would tell you is um, it's possible that it could not be worth your time. I personally didn't have time to, to look at those scholarships for $250 or $500. What is that one book? Some of those applications for $250 or $500, um, those applications and the requirements of what you have to do to apply were as uh, extensive as the scholarship that was a full ride scholarship or the scholarship that was going to give 10 grand or 20 grand. So if time is a, a, an issue, which I think it is for everyone, you might want to choose wisely on the scholarships that you're going to apply for that are the ones that are going to be most meaningful uh, to you. That's, that's what I, that, that's what we did is kind of, we had a strategy. I'm also not a fan of hiring somebody. Um, like when there are like services, if you like Google scholarships and stuff like that, like a paid for service, like they're going to help you find services, uh, find scholarships and stuff like that. All of the colleges and university have, um, funding pages, you know, uh, you know, their bursar's office or whatever, they're going to have scholarships. So we've got all of these, you know, all of these outside scholarships that we're talking about here, but then all of the colleges and universities have a scholarship page um, on their website too. So you guys can add those to your list as well. So that may be, um, you know, a point. All I would say is I would say that it was madness when we were doing this. Um, as a parent, it was madness. You, you take your full-time job and other kids and all the other plates that, as parents that we, that we twirl, but I would say it was fully worth it. You know, a lot of these kids are coming out of school. 
you know, a hundred thousand plus in debt, um, and to come out of school with, you know, with a degree and no debt, um, you know, you can look at it as, you know, if your child gets these scholarships and maybe you say, okay, I've set this money aside. We have the money for college. Grandpa's paying for college, whatever. Um, but if you don't have to pay for it and these scholarships actually pay for it, I mean, you're giving, giving yourself a boost to retirement. Maybe you can retire a little bit earlier. So again, lots of um, links in here. We're not going to go page by page or anything like that, but you are going to get a copy of these slides so you can do that uh, yourself on your um, own time. And again, just want to mention um, anybody that is joining us by podcast and they're not seeing to today's slides, um, you can see that on the Consolidated Planning Group YouTube channel, and you can also email us at contact um, at cpgcares.net, um, and we can, um, we can provide you a copy of the slides as well with all these links for the scholarships um, if you are in Texas. Okay, so we have talked about a lot of things um, today as, as it relates to um, as it re relates to college planning. But one thing that we didn't talk about yet, and I want to just go back to that um, for a moment, um, when we're planning, there are um, essays that are required. So when we're doing college applications, there are essays, there are essay prompts. So you can find out what the essay prompts are for 2023. You can simply just Google that. My recommendation is that the summer before senior year, you work on essays. Now, if you were going to hire somebody, we talked about Jody Glau earlier, the, the consultant for um, higher education for kids with disabilities. We're going to hire her. She's going to work with your student on their essays and things like that. But I recommend getting those essays knocked out the summer before the senior year. Senior year comes fast and furious. There's a lot of demands on the student, and that's, you know, on top of if they're in sports or have extracurricular activities and stuff like that. So I'd get those essays done the summer before uh, senior year. So that way, when we're pulling the trigger on applying, we're pulling the trigger on um, the scholarship applications. Some require essays, some don't. You have the three essays done, and then they just need to be tweaked slightly and uploaded. Um, and what I would say is there were tears at my house. I'm not going to lie. There were tears. I was like the mean mom over the summer and making my kid do their essays over the summer. Um, but we got them done. We got them done in time. And when senior year started, it was done. And it was all we had to do. We just had to tweak them a little bit, just save them, just upload them. And it was so, so much better. Um, and one little piece and tip here on essays, parents do not write your essays for your kids. The guidance counselor, the people that know, the people that review those essays on the college and university level, they totally know uh, that a parent wrote it and is largely uh, frowned upon. There are services that you can hire to have your students' essay reviewed and get recommendations on how to make it better. There's a lot of guide guidance online that you can get for free and things like that. So I did want to mention that to you because that is a big thing. It's a big stress for the student, which rolls downhill to the household, a big stress for the families. So um, if you've already, you know, right now, I mean, it's, it's January. So a lot of applications have already started. There's um, letters coming in of, you know, whether or not they've been accepted and things like that. And right now is a stressful time period. If you have a senior that's going to college, uh, in the fall of next year, because you're in the middle of deciding which school you're going to go with, which you're going to accept, who's going to give you the most money and things like that. 
Um, but for people that do have a sophomore or a junior, these are just good tips of planning ahead so that way we can lessen lessen the stress load as we're thinking about those things. Um, okay, so um, you know, I mentioned that we do these podcasts, we do these webinars, and these are some things that should be on your special needs planning radar when we're thinking about our, our loved one um, with a disability, um, how to develop a comprehensive special needs care plan uh, for when you're gone, if you're incapacitated or if, you, um, if you're gone, um, you know, working with a special needs planning firm to determine future care cost estimates. If your child has care needs for the rest of their life or some level of care needs, maybe they need um, an assistant, maybe, you know, something like that or an attendant or things like that, um, we can help put those together. Um, Texas waivers and interest lists, there are Medicaid waivers in the state of Texas. You may have heard of some of these, HCS, Texas Home Living class, community first choice, to name a few. These are designed to waive off some of the cost of care of caring for a loved one with a disability. Um, we do have um, complete webinars um, on YouTube about that, but you want to make sure that your child is on the interest list. Um, we go deep and wide with SSI, SSDI, and understanding the differences and knowing when to apply. Um, in short, most of our families and our kids have not um, qualified for SSI. Um, because we make too much money. But when your child turns 18, it's based off of their assets and income. And so you're going to want to learn what you need to do to apply for SSI once they turn 18. And, and we can talk more about that. So we've talked about uh, ABLE accounts. It's real important that if we have a child with a disability that we don't leave money outright to them. Um, we need to leave it to a special needs trust um, for the benefit of the said child because we want to maintain their eligibility for state and federally funded programs such as Medicaid, such as SSI, those things like that. Um, so um, we also talk about residential living facilities, not that that's on everybody's radar, but sometimes it is. Some, some of our families want autonomy for their kids and for them to live their best life and have community and friends and purpose and all of those things. Um, there are a lot of great uh, facilities all across the state of Texas. That, you know, they, they might be small homes. They might be – there's all kinds of different um, – programs out there. And we do have a residential panel on our Consolidated Planning Group YouTube channel, panel one and panel two, how to create your own group home, shared housing. We've got all kinds of stuff because that's a big thing on families' radars. Um, so guardianship, power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, supported decision-making, that may be something that you need to be thinking about that might be on your radar. Your child turns 18. Um, there are alternatives to guardianship, such as um, healthcare power of attorney, power of attorney, supported decision-making um, agreements. There is um, partial guardianship, and so you can work with a qualified attorney um, to, to help make decisions on that, on what might be the best um, for your loved one. Um, guardianship, you can start those conversations with an attorney six months before your child turns 18. Um, and so some of the waiting lists for community-based and care facilities could be long. So you're going to want to check out all of these things. I think the main thing when we're thinking about transitioning or whatever we're transitioning to, whether it's work, whether it's college, whether it's a living community or something like that, um, we just want to plan early and we want to have a plan and work our plan. We want to get our kids on the list, on the waiting list um, for anything that we need to. So that way we don't come up to a point where we have a crisis and we need a plan and the waiting list is three or five years. That's the kind of the main thing that uh, main message that we uh, want to give here. So 
we have um, we've talked about a lot of things. Um, Consolidated Planning Group. Again, we are a holistic financial planning firm. We're focused on working fa- with families specifically with disability because when we have a child that has a care needs for the rest of their life, not just ours, it's almost like a third bucket. If you're married, you know you've got husband and wife buckets for retirement. It's almost like a third bucket for retirement. So we just need to plan early and and plan. Um, very intentionally um, for our loved ones. So that way their care needs are met um, when we're gone or we're no no longer able to provide for them. So we may have some additional questions that we didn't get to in the chat box. I invite you to reach out to us personally. If you have um, questions that you didn't want to put out there and that you wanted to talk personally, we always offer a free personalized co- um, consultation when you get a copy of these uh, slides. Um, you can uh, just uh, take your camera over that QR code and it'll take you to a calendar where you can book directly with us. Our email address to get a copy of the slides, we're going to send it out to everybody that's attending today's live meeting. But if you're attending the podcast and you want a copy of today's slides for today's presentation, you can email us at contact at cpgcares.net. We've got links for our uh, YouTube channel, our Facebook page, our Instagram page, and we have other um, webinars that will be coming up in the future. So if you have other, um, you know, topics that might be of interest to you that may have been on that previous list of things that should be on your radar, we definitely invite you to join us for any other um, uh, webinars or podcasts for that. So having said that, I've got um, one o'clock. Tawana, do we have any other questions that we need to answer before we close? Okay. Um, So I see, I I think that we've answered most of them. Any other in-depth questions, um, again, feel free to reach out to us directly and we'll be happy to help you. Uh, Thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, It's certainly been my pleasure and we we hope that your journey is not difficult. I know that this is hard and this is why we have these webinars out here to educate you and empower you and encourage you that you can absolutely do this and, and have success. Your student can have success. So um, you, you've totally got this. So thanks for joining us. It's certainly been my pleasure, and you guys will get the email with the recording and the slides. Thanks so much. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.